louder! What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Hypodermic, the pod that sticks you deep. I'm the pod boss, T.G. Bowser, and joining me as always is the Admiral Vanarchy, the Commandant of Chaos himself, Mr. Nick Benson. What's up, buddy? What's happening, T.J.? How are you doing today? Pretty damn good. We have a very special episode today and an even Absolutely. more special guest. Nick, I will let you introduce him. This guy is... Uh really special to me because i met him back in i think it was 2015 or 16 and we were both pretty lost outside of a, a bar that we were trying to find um but he happened to be uh one of the guys that played in 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 the dictators uh he is to me an icon of music out of new york uh he's worked with so many bands it's even it's hard for me to remember all of them i know the home wreckers Tiger Mountain was one of them, the Dictators, NYC, and a myriad of others, and uh, more currently working with a band called Osaka Popstar. And uh, this is, uh, let me introduce you to Dean Rispler. Hey, everybody. Here's the best part is all three of us have the same type of background. We all have like rock and roll posters, records, <laughs> guitars, and all ephemera that's like, you know, ex except for us, it's completely useless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true look it's very look, true look look you this is this is what i spent all my all my all my bar mitzvah money on there you go it's music Gar <laughs> uh, it's like it's ridiculous dude moving, i gotta tell you living in new york city and moving this shit oh oh jesus dude i, I remember uh there was so many times where moving and it was like moving like Moving from like a six floor walk up to another six floor walk up, really yeah. fun, really fun, fun time, oh, fun yeah. times. Like, no, I mean, it like, puts the FU in fun, maybe, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> unreal, unreal. Like, living in New York City and being a record collector is like, it's like you may as well stab yourself, you know? It's like, it's, it's, cra <laughs> it's crazy. It's like, it, and every, and of course, it's New York City, so everything's expensive, so you have oh, to God. like really have to dig deep to find the cheap shit. But uh, one. Number one, thank you for having me on. And number two, number two, really important. I know a lot of listeners out there and anyone who's watching this or listening is like, who the fuck is this guy? And the answer is, I don't even know. I don't know. I have no idea. Like, um, as of right now, I'm really kind of, the honest truth is, as of right now, I'm kind of doing nothing. And it sucks in a way. And in some ways, it's kind of awesome. But I guess that's life, you know, I, I've, but to my own defense, I've done a lot of cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that's a lot absolutely of Absolutely cool true. I have, I have done a lot of cool stuff. I've done a lot of cool stuff. Nothing of that would affect really much anybody, but, but I, I was, it's, listen, I talking to friends who are accountants and I, I will say this, I've had a much more fun life than they have. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 We're I just similar in that regard. You yeah, know? no, no. I, I, well, you've done a lot cooler stuff. I mean, you got, you, I mean, just the fact that you got to work with Screaming George is fucking <laughs> rad, dude. I mean, like, I have that record that, that the mad seven inch. Mad. I don't have, I don't have the cover. The, the cover, I bought my, my version didn't have the cover. Oh, uh, I guess, George, you know, George was living in New York and I guess he yeah. sold, I think he sold a bunch to Venus Records without the cover. 
So they mm. were only like five or six dollars each, but I bought like one or two of them because I love that single so much. That single wow. amazing. But uh, that you worked on Society and yeah. what what you you worked on anything else on him with him? Oh yeah, I worked on a bunch of stuff with him: Japanese commercials to yeah. to Bride of Reanimator, Society. Awesome. Yeah, so we we That's did some rad. stuff together. Um, love working with him. He's a, yeah. he's a great he's so a great cool. human, an incredible artist, and uh, and an absolutely insane motherfucker <laughs> yeah well, i mean but, but the practical effects are just incredible like and just you know like there's that 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 i mean i i know i'm going off on something i shouldn't I, i'm not even involved with but I, i'm let, let me preface this to the listeners to be like not only do i know nick but i know kim and carrie ayers that's how i met you yeah. them, and i know um my wife i know my wife Believe it or not, I know my wife. Good thing. <laughs> it's it's very rare, but I know my wife somewhat, and I know her enough that she works that I know that she works in makeup as well. She worked with uh, he she worked with Kim and Carrie, and also mm -hmm. with uh, Christ, my my brain's hurting. Uh, Chris Chris Nelson. She mm -hmm. worked with Chris Nelson, who you know, and right. uh, um, so she and I was. Her Aaron and Mike Mikash too, I believe, right? Yes, Mike Mikash and yep. uh, and his wife, who's yep. amazing, amazing. These are amazing people who do amazing work. And it's funny because I was always into that stuff. And uh, to meet these people, to meet people like you and to meet people like uh, I met Howard Berger. Oh, yeah. I, I met people in the business who were just like, uh, like it was incredible. Like I, I was more excited to meet these people than I was to actually meet the stars of the movie, you know, like, don't, you know, like, I think that's, I think that's the coolest shit ever, you know, like, yeah. but I mean, yeah. but again, I'm not in that business. I just watched the movie. So. No, and, and, and this show isn't about me. It's about you. No, no, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just trying to preface to so, the, the listeners of where I'm at. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, and I don't know how many of your listeners know your full background either. It's yeah. it's uh, I want to get to kind of the meat of what led you here. Like as a kid, like what inspired you? What made you oh. want to do music? Those kinds of things. You know, talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, as a as a kid, uh, um, I grew up listening to my parents, you know, forty fives and records, and it was all amazingly the same stuff that I fall back on now. It's all like. 50s and 60s yeah. uh early rock and roll and um stuff that still lasts and still means something to me um i mean that's as as much as i've gotten into really esoteric stuff like really really into it like really into metal and all sorts of genres of metal and subgenres and the subgenres off of that and the same thing with punk rock and hardcore mm -hmm. and the same thing with even other stuff like stuff that went off into you know punk rock and kraut rock and <laughs> I, I you know i i collect you know i, I have a yeah, whole you, I, I have a whole into a lot <laughs> yeah i'm into a lot of stuff but when it comes right down to it when it really when it comes right down to it like the best to me the best the very best stuff is the stuff the early you know early rock and roll like i can't get enough of chuck berry and little richard and sure Jerry lee lewis and Roy Orbison and Everly Brothers and you know all that shit. I I just can't get enough of it. Like I, I well, like yeah, like all of those things are are why we're here, right? Yes. And why we do what we do. Like, yes. I mean, even even for me, even like getting into the effects business, I started yes. out a musician, and those are the things that 
took me that down the path. Of course. And I, I just turned a different way than when opportunity presented itself. Yes. So, yes. And, 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 and people don't realize how closely related. I mean, some people do, you do, I do. Uh, we really, we don't, people don't really realize how closely related cinema and rock and roll is. It's like before, before rock and roll, people weren't making videos. Like the, the idea, the concept of the music video as new as it seems. And when I say new, it, some people are like, oh, MTV 1980 or 1979 or whatever. They don't understand that like music videos are being made when Before rock that. and roll when rock and roll was invented. Yeah. There was machines. You'd go into like a fucking juke joint or a diner and there'd be a machine, very few because they were expensive, but there would be a machine that played videos that accompanied the song. Yeah. And that's like people don't realize how cinematic rock and roll was. Mm -hmm. And uh, unless they do their research, you know, there's a reason why there were movies made about rock and roll. There's a reason why even the status quo, you know, this, of course we have the status quo of like the Beatles and kiss and stuff, making movies and Elvis and stuff, but people don't realize that. It, yeah. That like little Richard was in movies. All these people were in movies because they, they were so animated that they needed to capture them on film. Yeah. And, and, and then even in the, and then when, the sixties came, it was, it was so entwined. Like it, it, even, even movies that weren't music movies, like they had, the music was such a big part of it, you know, like easy rider, of course, you know, and all these, all these kind of films, but that, that was a, as a child growing up in a suburb and watching HBO and seeing fucking phantom of the paradise at like yeah. seven, seven yeah. years old being like what the fuck is going on here that affected me greatly like a, a greatly to the point where like that's you know that that kind of shit ruins and it, it it's a combination of ruining and totally embellishing and enhancing your life but yeah. it, ru it ruined it ru like I, I i feel like you're probably in the same boat like it ruined my life like like after that it was like oh I, I can't be, I, I'm not normal anymore. Yeah. I, like, like you see, you see shit like that. And it's like, oh, I'm not normal. any. like, you know, this, to see like rock and roll on film. I remember as a, a really young child and seeing videos of Bill Haley and the comets. Right. And I was like, oh, I, I like people going, like they're showing the audience going crazy, like really nuts, like nuts, nutsoid. And it was just like, oh, this is, that's who, that's that's where I'm going to be. Well, and to add to that, like now you're seeing even on like Disney and all the fucking streaming platforms, you're seeing all this found footage stuff of all these bands that like they were filming themselves. Yep. Uh, whether it was a recording session or whatever, they were constantly doing stuff. And yeah. all of that stuff is all kind of coming out of the woodwork now. So that's, yeah. you know, really, that's why I started doing this show is to talk about how interconnected our arts are. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and for me, I, I was really lucky because my parents were, they, my parents were, uh, they grew up in Brooklyn and they used to go to the Alan Freed shows and they, you know, have had cool record, not a lot. They didn't really weren't record collectors, but they had a few cool records, you know, enough to get me started. And, um, and from there, I just, they were very, open and you know and very 
accepting of, you know, of the, my, my mom's an art teacher as well. So, so I, I was very lucky to be in a place where that was all accepted. Like it was yeah. accepted to, to, it was accepted to find out what you wanted to do creatively and what, what made your brain and your juices, you know, flowing, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So a foster very, environment is always a lot more healthy than, than not, but yeah. I still think there's a lot of incredible artists that come out of, uh, you know, the adversity too. Well, I think that I, I honestly think, honestly, I think the best ones came out of adversity. I mean, sure. you, you look at, you, could, you know, I mean, you look at the greatest blues and early rock and roll artists and they were all from oh, yeah. heavy poverty and adversity and they were not welcome yeah. in the in the beginnings of what they were doing and the same goes for later on with even early heavy metal and punk rock and all that kind of stuff people oh, yeah like not, guys like lead belly or oh yeah well, all that you know yeah, they, they were not incredible they were not, they're not really welcome in the mainstream you right. know so but that's where you know that's where that's but that i was i was very lucky to grow up in that environment where um I was encouraged in a lot of ways to do what I wanted to do for myself, which yeah. is a, a double-edged sword, you know, a double-edged sword. It could have been, you know, like there's a part of me was like, Oh yeah, I should have, <laughs> I should have, you know, t t taken college seriously, <laughs> all this kind of, especially now when I'm like wondering what the next step is. But I mean, like, yeah, I, I was very lucky, very lucky. It could have been, could have been way worse. So, yeah. And, and I mean, did you like, at, as you kind of got, went down that path, did you feel like you were leaning more towards, you know, production or just wanting to be in a oh. band or? Oh, no, 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 no. The production thing came way later. The yeah, production, sure. the, I'll, I'll tell you how I, I just wanted to play in a band like the, the, uh, I, it was even thrilling, like as, as ridiculous as I look back as at my life, even before and during college, like the stupid bands I was in playing, you know, like cover bands and all that kind of stuff. Like even that was thrilling in a way because I got, I was, I was playing, you know, I was playing, I was, I was, I was in a band. I was in like something that was fun and, you know, playing with different bands. Yeah, you're out, you're doing it. Yeah. And then, and then, and then to, uh, eventually when I got to, uh, I ended up, um, graduating right before graduate i graduated nyu and right before i graduated nyu i had joined uh a uh really wild band i think i think you know uh the voluptuous horror of karen black i think you yeah. know that band so that was that i i saw them i went to go see them when i was in college it was like the last couple of i think it was the last month or two of college and a friend of mine was like, oh, you got to see this band. It's hilarious and amazing. And I saw them and I was like, wow, this is really fun. I'd love to be in a band like this. And literally two weeks after that show, this was pre-internet. So Village Voice, the Village Voice, which was like a big, you know, downtown, you know, village, East Village based newspaper. Uh, like new newspaper. Yes, exactly. That came out, which I used to get every week to see what shows are playing. And then also there was a great... Um, there was a great uh, 
classified section looking for band mm -hmm. you know people looking for bands looking for members so that's <laughs> i just saw the voluptuous of karen a uh, voluptuous horror of karen black and then two weeks later there's an ad that says uh drums and bass needed for voluptuous horror of karen black and i'm like wow. oh I, I could play bass for that band that's not a problem yeah. and i really wasn't i was playing bass a little bit but i was like I was like, okay, I could play for that band, and then I just called, called the number, because it wasn't there was no email or nothing back then. Yeah, <laughs> called the number, and it was Samoa from Karen Black, and he's like, yeah, come, come to my house on this day, like in a, in a, in like you know, four next week sometime, and and we'll go through the songs and whatnot. So I, I had already, I, I think I met him earlier and got a cassette of the songs and learned the songs and came over, and he was like, yeah, man, you know how to play these songs. Let's start rehearsing. You know, nice. So we started rehearsing with a drummer who was really great, but that drummer ended up leaving for another band with within like two weeks. And then luckily um, we got uh, J.P. Patterson, who played with the Dictators and played yeah. with Manitoba's Wild Kingdom, amongst other bands. He also played in a band called Loved by Millions, which um, it was it was that dude, that dude, that famous dude, that famous dude from the lost boys video the, the lost boys movie the the, the, the sax guy the, yeah. the big fucking the big dude the fucking yeah, tim, tim capella, tim, tim, capella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tim capella it was his band he had a band called loved by millions yeah and he jp was in that band like before that it was hilarious it was funny funny stories so um so i started playing i was 21 years old you know i didn't know anything so i learned so much from jp because he was such a great musician he is a great musician great drum, amazing drummer and um from there the band started playing it out and they decided oh we're going to do a record and they ended up doing a record coming back to the whole dictators thing they ended up doing a uh, a record with andy chernoff from dictators uh-huh he was a dick he was the producer because he'd been producing a whole bunch of stuff so he went into the studio and um recorded this record and i watched i was really intent on watching what andy did and and how he how, how what a producer did and after i after that session i was like oh i love that i love that someone has his bait so a producer for it's so funny why they call it producer and why they <laughs> you know it doesn't make sense really but producer for a record is basically a director for a film I, I think it's a little bit more than that. I think, I think well, what a music producer does, I mean, you really have to, first of all, you have to kind of be a mediator and you have to, yes, you're, yes, absolutely. you're trying to draw out what, what their vision of that music is. Yeah. But it isn't, I mean, I, this is me. It is and it me. isn't because the director have yeah. their own vision. Yeah. They're the guy that has the vision. But, yeah, but they still have to work. They still have to work. Right. I understand. People. But and it's a, it's a close <laughs> comparison. Yeah. But I think that there's so much more to being a music producer because you're trying to draw out from different people's visions into something that makes you know sense. Yeah. And do it without yeah. pissing them off. <laughs> well, I well, that's what I think. I think I would imagine, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I've never worked on I well, that's not true. I have worked on some films. But I mean, <laughs> I I I think the better directors, may, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it, it's the same thing. Some producers have work with an iron fist and they're like, this is my way or the highway. And I think it's the same thing with directors. Some directors come in and this is the way it's going or you get out. Right. And I think some directors are like, oh, that was interesting. Let's do that right. again. 
you know yeah so, more more of a collaborator yeah kind of so that that yeah and that's and that's where i come from i come from like there's a there's a you know there's a point where you're it depends who you're working with too don't get me wrong I, uh some of the funnest records have been done with bands that can't play at all and i have to teach them how to play their own songs sure. believe me that's how it goes but that doesn't mean it wasn't a, a good product no absolutely you know it, 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 it it's it depends it depends on who on who it is and then there's some bands who are really amazing like way better way beyond musicians than i am and it's just a matter of getting the best performances out of them yeah and getting the best takes and 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 there so so it it, it really depends so i i that, that that took a long time to learn you know i saw what andy was doing and uh it also took me I was young and um, I didn't know anything. So it took me a long time also to realize how important, and this sounds dumb because it is the most important thing, but it took me a while to realize how important songs were. And it's one thing to play great and finish, finish what you think is a song and play it great. But it's another thing to walk away from that song and be like, I cannot get that fucking chorus out of my head. Yeah. And that, and then, and then after a while, I was like, "Oh, okay, now I understand. Now I understand why there's bands that can't play at all, but still have, you know, still are famous. And there's bands that could play circles around people, and, and they're not famous. Was the band that can't play it? Maybe the band that can't play at all wrote some great songs, and that's yeah. how it goes. You know, it's like, and um, and I realized that that was the most important thing, and uh." And then that's the direction I took with that. The direction I took started taking was working with a band. Now I have to do a really heavy pre-production and take them into you know their rehearsal spaces. And besides making sure they're playing what they should be playing correctly, it's really about perfecting what I think is the best parts of songs. Sure or making songs, making songs correct. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what, what genre it is, because in, in my opinion, there's, there's only, there's really, there's really only two things to music. It's songs. Number one is songs. Number one is songs. Two is if there's not a song, there has to be a feeling or an atmosphere that makes you feel something because I, I love, I love, soundtrack music mm -hmm. like i love soundtrack i have a r racks of soundtrack music on vinyl i love you know like i love john williams i love you know uh uh J john carpenter i love you know like howard shore i love all this kind of stuff you know like i love this atmospheric music that accompanies something else because it makes you feel a certain way yeah and, 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 and it doesn't, and, yeah, and it doesn't matter if there's really a song involved, but yeah, at the same time, when it comes to like every other kind of genre of music, it, what do you walk away remembering? You know, you have to walk away remembering something like I'm going to walk away, you know, that, you know, out of all the electronic music there is out there and who started, you know, he's one of the bands that started it was Kraftwerk. There's a reason why we remember Kraftwerk songs and we don't remember maybe more than uh, three quarters or th or five eighths of Can's catalog. And don't get me wrong, I love Can. Do not say I do not love Can. I love Can. So, but it's it's 
I'm not going to remember every can or every Faust song, yeah. but I do remember most, like, I mean, there's a reason why I remember everything off of Trans Europe Express or oh, yeah. Radioactivity or uh, The Model, because the songs are amazing. <laughs> the songs are amazing. Like, you could sing those songs back. You could sing the riffs back. The same reason why... I remember every fucking Black Sabbath song, but I can't, if you held a gun to my head, I couldn't sing you back High on Fire or fucking Sleep. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I, I, it's not like I dislike that stuff. I don't. I've seen both bands hundreds. It's just right. that I don't remember it. I don't remember St. Vitus songs. Like St. Vitus, cool band, sure. I don't remember the songs because they had no fucking songs. They're not Black Sabbath. They're trying so hard to be Black Sabbath. They're not Black Sabbath. They're not writing those songs. They're not Tony Iommi. They're not writing these fucking riffs that are blocked in my head for <laughs> so long. Like, like even the later, even later stuff that I didn't hear till later, it's still in my fucking head. Like, there's a reason why, like, even forgotten records, like, so, you know, quote unquote, forgotten records, like Technical Ecstasy and mm. Never Say Die, like. There's a reason why those records are still awesome because the songs are fucking great. Even though back in the day when I was a kid, they were like, oh, that record sucks. Don't even get it. Even get it. <laughs> like I didn't even bother with those records as a kid because everyone, every, all my friends, all my older friends were like, oh, that's, ah, there's nothing cool on there. Like, Guess what? The whole record's fucking cool. It just, yeah. it, it just wasn't as cool as Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath because that record's phenomenal. But those records are really good and because, the reason is, is because Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler are fucking geniuses. They're geniuses. They're fucking geniuses who wrote amazing songs. And it didn't matter what genre it was. It's just that they wrote great songs. And that's my concern for the rest of my life for everyone who's involved in music. Yeah. doesn't matter what it is. Please write great songs. Please, yeah. just please. I don't care what kind of genre it is. Just write great songs. Well, I think I think really, like you said, it comes down to two things. Does it invoke emotion? Yes. And 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 or does it it does it have a catchy riff or phrase that you're constantly yeah. remembering? You know, those little things that fucking annoy you. It comes out of nowhere. It's stuck yeah. in your head. Yeah. yeah. Those are the things that make great songs. Yes, exactly. And 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 that, dear listeners, that applies to film as well. A hundred percent. Like I know, I know that <coughs> I know that you and I, without even talking about it, I know there's certain films that you and I probably love that aren't great films. They just evoke this atmosphere that's fucking awesome. Right? Absolutely. Like you take a film like Begotten. It's that's fucking amazing. Like it's amazing. Like like the whole feeling of that film, you feel fucked up and dirty. And you feel like it's psychedelic without being colorful. It's like, it's like Ed Edmund Marriage is genius. Is that his name? Edwin Edmund Marriage? Is that his name? And the guy who he did uh, Suspect Zero as well. Like that guy's a genius. He, he, never, he, didn't do, he didn't do another movie after that. He did Suspect Zero and that was it. He was, was out. It. He was out. So like that guy's a fucking genius. And that movie, Begotten, is amazing. And it's not amazing because I, I don't remember the story. I know the story because I own the fucking DVD and read the synopsis. But if I was to try to explain that to anybody and they saw the film, they'd be like, fuck you, Dean. This means nothing. Because it doesn't. It doesn't really mean anything. And it doesn't have to because it's, just, it, it's, it's like, I don't know. 
we, I mean, we could talk about this all day. Like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Is it a great oh, movie? Wow. Yeah, it rules. It fucking rules. But is it like, is it on the same level as like some other movies we think about? And no, it doesn't have to be because it was like, it's, it's crazy and haphazard and fucking awesome. It's just awesome because it, it evokes an emotion that you cannot let go of. You cannot let go. I think too, though, it's, you know, another thing that, that goes hand in hand is the music with the film. Yes. I mean, really, truly think about watching, let's say, let's, let's use Star Wars, for example. Mm -hmm. Think about watching that without a score. Yeah. It would sure. be stupid. Yeah, it wouldn't. It Jaws. wouldn't bring any emotion. Jaws. Yeah, it was. Jaws. Anything a, Carpenter did is the same thing. If you watch yeah. any of it without that music, yeah. it doesn't build the what you're supposed to feel. Yeah, but don't, totally off tangent. Don't, don't you feel like it's really funny that Carpenter employed Ennio Morricone for for the thing, and <laughs> and, and basically Ennio Morricone, it seems that Ennio Morricone for that film was like. Oh, I'm just going to copy what John Carpenter did in the last few films. <laughs> it was like, it was like, it's great. Don't get me wrong. It's fucking yeah. great. But it's basically like when you hear the soundtrack, it was like, wait, he, he hired Ennio Morricone to do his to own. copy movie. him. Yeah, I don't, I don't. That's hilarious. That's that hilarious. Because at that time, you think at that time, right around that time, Exorcist 2 was out, right? Was yeah. coming out around the same time. Now, Exorcist Two, despite all its hatred, the people people fucking hate that movie. I think it's way better than people think. And I also think I will go on record and say that Ennio Morricone's soundtrack to Exorcist Two is probably the most insane fucking soundtrack ever made. Ever made. Like it's the scariest shit ever. That's out of any record I own. Out of all these hundreds and hundreds of thousands of records i have up here like five thousand i don't know how many records i got up here <laughs> the, the the fucking exorcist 2 soundtrack is the scariest one it's so fucking scary like if you listen to that on its own it's fucking scary that is a great soundtrack and like it has nothing to do with what he was doing with the thing it's it's it almost right. like when the thing came out it was like you're just doing like why did it's just funny it's almost <laughs> it's almost as if like someone said to carpenters like oh you have to get morricone on here and Morricone's like, just do what I do. I just need your name <laughs> on it. That's, that's what it feels like on that yeah, film. Yeah. It's still great. Don't get me wrong. It's great. One of my favorite movies. And talk about fucking practical effects. Holy shit. That movie rules. <laughs> best, the best, dude. And I also am still, to this day, completely fucking mind blown that that the same exact day that that movie came out is the same day that Blade Runner came out. Like crazy, like what, like, mm -hmm. like just bury me on that day, dude. Just maybe, maybe, maybe like I could have just watched those two movies in a row and it'd be like, fucking kill me now. I'm done. It's <laughs> yeah. great. It's great. <laughs> fucking, those are the two, two of the best. <laughs> Unreal, dude. Yeah. And there's another one with a fucking incredible soundtrack. Oh yeah. Well, Vangelis, Vangelis, Vangelis stuff, uh, even on his, even on his own without a soundtrack is just awesome like yeah. i love i love those uh aphrodite's child's records and i love that stuff that stuff's really cool you know yeah, absolutely really cool stuff yeah but that's you know that was uh coming back to unfortunately coming back to me that's what what got me into stuff is like uh the whole amalgamation of visual and and 
the sound oral stuff going on was a very important to me still is still really important to me and uh yeah well i, I mean it's it's pretty clear in the way that you do your business now like you know doing pre-production making sure everything it's it's really not a lot different than than making a film no you go into pre-production you make sure everything is in order yes make sure the things are laid out the way they need to be yes and uh and then you go into production and yes yeah it's really the same process yes if you're lucky you know if, if you're lucky to find people not that i'm any big shaking but it's very lucky to find people who care about budgets <laughs> that's that's where the producer comes in it's like okay the budgets you know at this we can't go over it's a it's one thing to be in the film industry and this or even in the in the music industry and having some sort of label behind it but there's it's extremely i i think it's i don't think i've ever done a record where i've i don't think i've ever had the luxury of doing a record where um we could even think about going over budget whereas like i think some film people yeah it depends it de totally depends who it is and <laughs> who it is but they 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 have a little bit of luxury of running over time with that which i i cannot i could never do that so the, the pre-production is a huge deal pre-production is like we're going into the studio i don't want to waste your time or money so let's get this done you know? yeah so that's where I'm at. Well, cool. So bring us bring us up to kind of, you know, you, you got into music production. You played with some really killer bands. Let's yeah. talk about, like, you know, you, your time with the Dictators maybe and then okay. transition from there. Talk about going forward from that. Absolutely. Uh, well, I was really lucky. I, I played with Karen, with the Voluptuous Heart of Karen Black for a few years. And um, I was really lucky to do some really cool stuff. Like we toured a little bit with uh, White Zombie and the Cramps, yeah. so that was really cool. And um, and then uh, I left. Um, I left the band, and I was actually I was you know I was still young. I was in my twenties, and but I was having already my you know. I was already in the midst of like some Jewy midlife crisis already in my twenties. <laughs> and, and then I was like, what am I going to do now? I don't, and I kind of, for, for a little bit, I was like, I don't think I should do this at all anymore. And, and then a friend of mine, Todd youth, who's not alive anymore was like, Oh, why don't you, you should play with Murphy's law. I'm playing with Murphy's law. You know, he was, he was, you know, not the original guitar player, but he was like, the guy who was in the band a long time and he's like you should come play with us and so i played with murphy's love for a while and that was really um fun and violent and stuff you know, it was like it got hardcore gets a little violent and really crazy and yeah and kind of dumb at times and i i even continued that right right after i i was in murphy's love for a little while and then joined i i was playing bass with them and then played guitar with Crown of Thorns was the drummer from Murphy's Law went on to join Crown of Thorns and I was friends with Danny from Crown of Thorns and that that's even more violent and crazy and then um after that I took some time off and uh had a had a string of other stuff go on nothing nothing too major but fun stuff did some touring with some couple other bands and then uh 
I, I had had a lot of time off because I um, I really I, I really for for a part of my life I really uh, didn't know there was a I had really lame I mean this is all retrospect so it's gonna sound funny but I had these really lame really stupid ideas that what I was doing was was dumb mm. I, I I mean like I, I had these feelings like oh I shouldn't this is dumb like like being in music and art whatever art stuff i just felt like it was for some reason part of me was like telling like really bad part of me was telling me that it was dumb like it was really i i think a lot of it had to do with money because i wasn't making yeah. a lot of money yeah. and it was really really feast or famine and when i tell you it was feast or famine feast was lowercase and famine was all uppercase Believe oh yeah me, it sure. was it was like i don't know what i'm gonna do next and especially living in fucking new york city man fucking yeah. unreal like 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 the idea of um going on tour and you know you don't know if you're going to make money or not yeah and even if you do make money it barely pays the rent because your rents are so high so like if you were lucky you come home and pay the rent and then yeah. it's like what do i do next like what do i do next it's like we don't it's have like any constant, a constant roll of the dice so. yes exactly and 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 it got it got really um it was a roller coaster and it was uh it was upsetting a lot of times and um i took a lot of time off and and i will tell you this from in retrospect it was the dumbest thing ever to ever doubt to ever doubt that that career choice like it's one thing to be like it's a crazy career choice you, you may not make it you may not to it's more it's more important to just do it like I, yeah. I i wasted so much time not doing stuff like i wasted so much time doubting myself and not doing stuff and 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 i say i i'm i'm saying this not only for myself and for this podcast but for the listeners here who are hopefully they don't it, like I could I could easily say I'm saying this for the kids. I don't know how many kids are fucking watching this. I, I have no fucking idea. Maybe maybe there's some 20, 20 year olds watching this podcast or maybe there's even younger kids watching this. And, sure. and, and hopefully they listen to, to this part. But it doesn't matter. It's even for people who are who are who are my age at, at 52 years old and, and are still not sure where they're at. Don't 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 stop what you're doing. It's like, it's like, that's the hugest mistake you could do. Like, don't stop what you're doing because somewhere in your head, you're like, oh, I should have been a or some shit. You know, like, just don't. I think we all go stop. through that, though. I think that yeah. there's times that we all go through that and we question whether we should be doing this or not. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, I mean, and really, almost everybody we've had on the show, like, we've all had those moments. Yeah. Um, you know, and we've questioned whether we should be doing this or not. And, yes. the, you know, always the answer is absolutely not. Because if you're doing what you love, there is nothing better to do. Yeah. And sometimes and now, it's hard, but sometimes yeah, it's no. hard doing shit you hate too. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, and it's also, it also the, that, that feeling gets exacerbated by fucking money issues. 
you yes. know, I, like, like, listen, I, I, I made the choice at a very, you know, I was born in Brooklyn and I made a very, you know, as of, at a, you know, at a very young age, I made this choice that I have to stay in New York city and I, I shouldn't leave. And like, uh, maybe that was a mistake and maybe it wasn't, but, um, it is the choice I made at the time. And, and, and it's just that when I was producing on a regular basis, like producing records, like every, every couple of months, like doing a new record, like I'd have these young bands asking me like, what, 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 what should I do? What should we do next? Like, what should we do? And they're, they're looking for like some sort of answer, like, Oh, go tour here or go do this. And, and I'll be like, no, just move out of New York. And they'd be like, what? Like, what? What are you talking about? And to them, and even to me at the time, like, especially in the 90s, New York City was the center of the fucking universe. I don't give a fuck yep. what anyone says. The East Village from 1988 to 1998 was the fucking center of the fucking universe. Like, nobody gave a fuck about what else was going on anywhere, unless there was a little explosion in fucking, you know, Seattle a little right. bit of an explosion in San Francisco, Los Angeles, whatever fucking bullshit college town you want to come up with. I don't give a fuck, dude. The bottom line is that was the, the, the center of the universe. There was two places where the, the music business was, and it was L.A. and New York. And New York, and New York at the time was like blowing the fuck up. That's all that mattered was yeah, – and, and it, when you were in New York, you were able to go from – Club to club to club to club to club, walking to see the greatest bands in the world, right? From all over. Didn't matter that they were new from New York or not. But these bands, I'd, I'd be like, listen, you got to get the fuck out of here. And they'd be like, why? You'd be like, why you, you're any little bits of pennies you're making is going to your rent. Get the fuck out of here. Go, go somewhere else. Go to North Carolina. You don't even have to go that far. You're, you're worried about missing New York. Go to New Jersey. Go yeah. live in fucking. New Brunswick, New Jersey, in some shitty college town where you could mm -hmm. get a job for ten at the time, ten dollars an hour, and still live, and you have a house where you could rehearse in rather than spending five hundred dollars a month, you know, rehearsing in some sh other shithole somewhere in the city where you right. can't afford. So you know, like, so I don't even remember what we were talking about. Something about the Flintstones, or what was it about? Something about X Files. <laughs> what were you talking about? I don't remember. I went off on a tangent. I'm sorry. I do yeah, this. Yeah, that's one. okay. It's that's, that's <laughs> really, really, you're right on on cue with where we're supposed to be and yeah. you know, with what we're talking about. I mean, that's at the core of what the show's about. Yeah, it's about inspiring others to to help. You know, these whether it's kids that want to do special effects or kids that want to be music artists or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's all about letting them know, like, yeah, we've had our struggles too. We didn't just fucking become. You know, and here we are doing all this shit. We literally just made choices and we either fell into really cool shit or we didn't. And yeah. I'm not I'm not classically trained as a musician at all. I'm not I'm not formally trained as an effects artist. I just happen to be very good at it. Mm -hmm. you know? And 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 that's why, you know, our, our typical message is that, you know, just don't give up. If it's something you're passionate yeah. about, don't fucking give up. Just yeah, exactly. Going. It's it, you have your challenges, you have your bad days, but just yeah. keep pushing. Yeah, that's all that's that's the bottom line. And uh um you know the 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 doubts that I had were my own problems, but uh my only advice to other people is if you have those doubts, fight them. <laughs> just keep going. Right. Just keep going.
you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep going. So, um, tell me a little bit about what, you know, what really, uh, and, and I guess it's, it really is kind of self-explanatory because we've already talked about it in your mm-hmm. tangents is mm-hmm. that that's, that seems to be what drives you to be a music producer. I mean, you, you seem to want to help inspire these bands or help, you know, steer them a little bit so that yes. they, you know, get where they need to be. Yes. Well, I mean, I, uh, I, um, definitely very involved with when, when it comes to working with bands, very involved with getting them to get to where not only where they think they should be, but also where I think they should be. And, um, and I, you know, I, I had a label for a little while. I had my own label, which is kind of a failure, but it was pretty cool to have for a little while. And I was trying to, I was drug front, right? Uh, on drug front, I had drunk fr- drug front records, and I was trying to, um, I was trying to embell, you know, like bring out these bands that I thought had cool songs and the cool whole vibe thing going on. Unfortunately, with uh, the label, it I did put out some cool stuff. It's just that. You know, you're working with friends and friends bands. A lot of times, you, you talk and you believe that they're actually going to do what they're going to do, but they—it's pretty rare. It's 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 funny. It's it's funny because all the bands were like, "Yeah, we'll do this, we'll do that," and like, and very few of the bands did anything that you discussed. You know, like sure. it, life gets in the way. It's funny because one of the bands that still plays is uh, this band hilarious band and a great band called uh two-man advantage is a uh a hockey hardcore band they're like a, a punk rock hardcore band all, all the songs are about hockey and beer and they're the best dudes ever and they're the only band that came to me that i was like let's, let's do a record with you guys i love those guys and they're like dean you know we're never going to tour we're old men now we're never going to do this we're never going to do out of all the bands that they, they did the most out of all the bands, out of all the bands who told me they were going to do this and that, they were the band who told me they weren't going to do anything and did more than anybody else. They actually went on tour, sold out their records, actually ordered more. They were like totally, and and, and but that's that's the kind of people they are. And the other ba- other bands were like, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and within like you know three weeks after the records come out, they're like broken up already. But that's that's okay. That's that's the chance I took. I knew that wasn't going to be a, a money making proposition, but. I wanted to bring some of these bands out to the forefront and I still want to do that. Like I I don't want to do it as a label anymore because that kind of ruined a part of my life, but whatever. But I mean, like, like there's, if I find bands that I like, I want them to, to, I want, I, in my job, if, if they allow me to produce the record, my job is to make them sound at the very best they can at that particular time. Right, and that's all I care about. I want, I want the be- the very best I can get out of this band at that particular time, the very best performances. That's what I want, and that's that's the only thing I could say is like, you know, we do, you know, I I go in and do pre production, and then when we go in to do the record, we try to get the very, we try to get everyone comfortable. Like that, that's another thing I try to, you know, I want everybody when they go in, I want every, everybody that I know in these, most of the bands I end up working with, most of them end up being friends Yeah. for the most part. So like, I, I, I want, 
I want them to be comfortable. I want them to go into the studio and not feel scared. Like, like I, like I was like, I was scared when I, I was a kid, I was 20, 21 years old and going to the studio. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I didn't know yeah. anything. You know, I never played with headphones on. I never did that. I, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what I was going to be able to hear. I didn't know what it was going to be like. Right. I didn't know if I was going to be able to choose what I'm playing. And I wasn't like, even with Andy Sharnoff, he's like, I had this amazing 67 position. He's like, no, no, play my bass. Like, I never saw this bass before. Okay, you say so. You're the producer. Okay. Right. Like, I don't, I want people to come in and, and, and be really comfortable, as comfortable as they can be. Right. Like, I want them to come in and feel like, this was, I had a great experience making this record. And, uh, well, at its core, that's what a music producer is supposed to do. I think so. I think so. And, and, but, but, you know, you hear these stories about producers and in the film industry, directors who make yeah. their, who make their, their subjects forever, whatever word you want to use, make them not feel comfortable. Right. You know, I, I, listen, it's, that's okay. Like, you know, it's okay in certain scenes. Mm -hmm. where you want people to feel fucked up in certain scenes like you know <laughs> we, we could take william friedkin's stories mm -hmm. you know he he went out of his way to make um uh linda blair feel comfortable on the set she was a young girl but he also went out of his way for that one scene to where he shot off a gun to make everyone feel uncomfortable but that's yeah. the, that's the reaction he wanted and he got it you know believe me he got it but i don't uh, i i to William's defense, William Friedkin's defense, I think he really went out of his way to make his actors feel comfortable on the set, especially yeah. after I was really lucky to see him do a question and answer afterwards. But, you know, like, let's take in music an example. Like, I, <laughs> not many great words have been said about the late Phil Spector. Right. You know, that guy went sort of out of his way to make everyone feel kind of uncomfortable. Sure. I mean, he probably had some I'm he definitely had some mental issues. He was probably on the spectrum, didn't care about how people felt the same way right. you know, like we see some of these multimillionaire CEOs like the owner of Uber or some kind of people like that who are on the spectrum. They they are physically on the, they are physically psychologically on the spectrum. Not to their defense and they don't they have to be told by their right hand per persons like listen every like not everyone's a robot right after you know but like uh I, I i don't i wouldn't like that i wouldn't want to come onto a set of a film or into a into a a recording session and feel look skittles is here <laughs> i would I, I wouldn't want to feel uncomfortable i don't i don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable i want people i don't want people to be surprised you know right. I, don't, I don't want them to feel like i didn't know we were doing this i don't know it's one thing to improv everyone has that <laughs> moments to improv and do cool shit but like, I want people to be prepared, comfortable, and have fun. That's, right. I mean, that I, to me, I mean, like, I grew up on film, television, and music, and I, it was fun. That was an escape for me. That was fun, and I wanted to be fun all the way through. Even yeah. the sad, even the saddest movies, the most violent movies, and the most, you know, saddest songs and everything. I still want it. The the process of making it should be fun. You right. Know? I think so. Or it should be satisfying. It doesn't have to always be fun. You know, like, sure. you know, that was a, uh, it's a great quote from Werner Herzog. You should walk away feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. About, and also about, about the work. Exactly. Exactly. 
Exactly. So I don't know. You know, that's uh, that's the way I, I, I see things. But that's that's also gotten you gotten you into places, I think, uh, just because of like I was pretty quickly able to assess the kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. When we met and, uh, you know, I, I, I felt uh, a camaraderie with you and mm-hmm. pretty comfortable with you pretty quickly. Yes. And I think that working with you would definitely be a, an honor and, and a hell of a lot of fun. I hope um, so. I hope so. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what I, you know, I try to do. Well, I and I think it's led you to, to opportunities, too. Like you, you've it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've gotten a chance to work with Weird Al. Yeah. Well, here's the problem with Weird Al. Weird Al's the best, and he's awesome. I, I didn't get to meet him, unfortunately. I played on that record, but I right. wasn't. He, he recorded. I was recording with Osaka Popstar, which is right. uh, this guy. This guy, John Caffiero, he's the manager of the Misfits. Best dude, totally amazing dude, and um, he made the Misfits ridiculous amounts of money. You know, when he took over the management for the Misfits, like I think those. I think those guys were floundering a bit and I think he made them, I know for a fact that he made them millions of dollars on their merch deals and all this kind of deals. And it was, he's, even though it took him 20 plus years, he's single-handedly responsible for the misfits reunions that we saw with Glenn mm-hmm. Danzig and he become friends with Glenn Danzig and all that kind of stuff, which is totally amazing. And he made a bunch of money and uh, while he was doing this stuff, the original lineup of Osaka pop star was uh, Marky Ramon and um, Dez from Black Flag and Jerry from the Misfits. And for a little while, Ivan Julian from Voidoids was playing guitar as well. So he put out a couple of records with those guys. And then he was working with my engineer, uh, Jesse Cannon, another amazing guy. He was working with him, and when he hooked up with Jesse, Jesse ended up becoming his right hand man, doing all his uh, engineering and and recording and everything that goes with that. And I, Jesse, was the one who told John, he's like, "Oh, you should work with Dean. Dean could play all these instruments, and you yeah. might get along with him." And we did. You know, that's what happened. And so that. I started working with John and John was like, well, not only are we going to do our own stuff, but I'm doing this record called Dr. Demento covered in punk. And it's like all covers of songs that were popular on the Dr. Demento show, which I love. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm a a huge fan of novelty songs, huge fan, even before, you know, and yeah, you and me both grew up on the I, Sunday night uh, Dr. Demento show, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I love, you know, like, I love novelty songs. Like, I love them. Like, I think they're, you know, as as dumb as it is. Like, I love songs like Winchester Cathedral and, you know, like, <laughs> they're coming to take me away and all these oh, yeah. kind of, you know, I love that kind of shit. Like, I always love Barnes them. and Barnes stuff. Exactly. Like, I mean, like, John Caffiero, man, he's, <laughs> he's like, really close. He's really close. One of the guys from Barnes and Barnes just died. Oh. Someone oh, just died, but he's really close with those guys. He, he actually reissued the Barnes and Barnes record with the fish heads. Wow. And he's really close with those guys. So I think someone from that band just died. Um, but uh, so he brought me into this situation where, he, where we were doing these covers. They were doing um, Dr. D- songs that were popular on the Dr. Demento show, you know, and then, um, 
and one of the songs was well we i was really lucky we got to do um garbage man by the cramps but that yeah. was with uh william shatner who fucking <laughs> rules he totally rules and then we got to do a song with uh fred schneider from b-52s yep we did uh phil harris's the thing which is one of my mom's favorites favorite novelty songs from the from the late 50s early 60s which we did with adam west like literally six months oh, before he died that. which was rad and then we did the song with weird al we did beat on the brat yeah but unfortunately the unfortunate part is that all those dudes well not schneider i think fred schneider was living in new york but i didn't see him but i john had to record all the vocals out in la he had to go to la to record yeah. all the vocals but that being said when he brought the final tracks out to um out to weird al Weird Al loved it, and Weird Al at first refused to play on it. Like he wanted to sing on it, but he was like, "I'm not playing accordion on it. I'm not going <laughs> to." But 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 John played him the tracks, and he was like, "Fuck, this is really cool." And he's like, "He's like Al, you should play accordion on this." And he ended up doing it. So it was that was rad. That was cool. cool. So that was cool. So I got you know that was really fun stuff. And we're supposed to do a, a follow up. We're supposed to do a part two. So hopefully that'll happen within within the next year and a half or so. Because I, like I know, it's, yeah, it would be really cool. But yeah, I had a great time, a great time doing that record because not only did we get to do those songs, but we got to do the whole record. If you listen to it, it's basically a, a facsimile of uh, it's a copy of his show. Yeah, of what his show was like. So we do all the intros and outros and all that kind of stuff that he used to play, but it's our versions of it. So that was <laughs> that's pretty cool. And I don't I don't know if you know who Uncle Floyd was. I, you, you didn't grow up on the East Coast, right? No, no, no. no. So there was a guy out here, Uncle Floyd, who had a, a a television show here in New Jersey, and he's all over the record. And I got to meet him and stuff, and that was like a oh huge God, thing cool. for me. So that was super cool. So hopefully those guys will be involved on in the next one, but um, I'm really looking forward to that because working with not only working with with John is a blast, but I also get like the recordings. I get to work with uh, Dennis Dyken from the Smithereens plays drums, oh, wow. and then also um, John Worcester from Super Chunk and Mountain Goats and Bob Mool plays drums and some stuff. So and and these are like amazing musicians. Yeah, yeah, really. Right fantastic incredible so, really cool cast yeah, character really cool. so to speak oh yeah totally 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 yeah. pretty 100%. awesome stuff i've enjoyed what i've seen even the videos like for for osaka pop star they've been phenomenal i love the oh that one yeah, animated anime video one that's just so, really good yeah so much fun. with fred with fred armison yeah yeah. yeah yeah that's really cool yeah super cool yeah i was very lucky to get involved with that and john's been nothing but uh amazing guy's a great dude he, my only complaint about john is he's so fucking busy that we don't get to work enough you know like he he'll he'll even he'll even write me he'll be like listen we got to get ready for this recording and i'm like dude send me the tracks tell me what the, and then like six months later he'll oh. be like dude we got to get ready for these recordings i'm like okay 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 but the good news is that it's eventually will happen yeah. it's just you know you have to just hold your breath for a little while yeah right on yeah. So, so you said that things have slowed down for you, at least most recently, right? 
Oh yeah, the pandemic killed everything. Yeah, the pandemic. I, I had. Did you do I had, a radio show for a little while? Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. I, I, I was, I was, I was an early investor into a friend's company called Gimme Radio, mm-hmm. which ended up being uh, Gimme Metal and Gimme Country. Yeah. I mean, the the overall umbrella was Gimme Radio, and we had uh, Gimme Metal, which was a highly interactive inter inter internet radio station right. same thing with gimme country and gimme country was super cool too because it was uh really going out of its way just like gimme metal to focus on stuff that we felt that was not being uh was was being obscured or obfuscated by the shadows right. to say and um and we had we had very great success in a very short amount of time not monetarily, but we, we had plenty of plenty of listeners, and I really loved that job so much. I mean, uh, it kind of consumed my life for a little right. bit. I uh, I was a DJ, but not just a DJ. I also was an engineer and programmer who I engineered anywhere between ten and twelve radio shows per week, wow. and it was from you know from. DJs, really highly diverse DJs, including I was really lucky to do shows for uh, Will Carroll from Death Angel. Very cool. He's a great dude, and he had a show on there. And also, um, I used to do shows for uh, uh, this guy, Alex Kane, who was um, probably, probably the first heavy metal DJ probably in the world because not on radio, but like a live DJ, because he was the first one. He was actually a dance DJ in Brooklyn who was also really into metal and used to go to Lemoore in Brooklyn growing up. And they, he was like one of the first guys who they asked like, why don't you spin between bands and stuff? Cause they weren't doing, no one was doing that. He was the first one to be like, okay, I'm going to spin heavy metal. You know, obviously what people want to hear at this club mm-hmm. And then that's what he started getting hired for. He was like kind of the first heavy metal DJ. That's so awesome. I do his shows and his shows are great, really obscure, wild stuff from him. And I also did shows for this woman, Diane, Diane Farris, also known as Diane Kamikaze, who I had been listening to on WFMU radio for many, many years, which is a big, very popular um freeform station not unlike kexp out west like like a kind of station like people everywhere listen to so uh i used to listen to her shows all the time and she she was a dj on there and um and then i brought a lot of djs on there i brought ross the boss on there from man of war and dictators and i brought dave catching on there i did dave catching shows as well dave catching was from queens of the stone age and eagles of death metal and a bunch of other a million other projects and great dude one of the best and also had uh i also got jessica pimentel involved an old friend of mine who is a musician but she's also well known as an actress on orange is the new black and a couple other shows and and uh so was doing a lot of stuff i was doing that and i loved it i really loved it i fell in love with this station and things were going quite well until they weren't <laughs> and then just recently just in april we um we were backed by iHeartRadio, who was very generous with us and then 
Um, last minute, uh, the San Fernando Valley Bank situation happened, oh. and everyone who was investing in us, including iHeartRadio being the number one investor, everyone lost their shirt. Yeah. And everyone's like, sorry, guys. I know we promised you twice as much money, but we just fired half our staff, and we're wondering oh, where we're going to be working next. So everyone left. All our investors left within like seconds, yeah. like seconds. It seemed like seconds. And then like we had a, my boss had to scramble to try and find new investors. And by then it was too yeah. late. And That's we all, almost had it. Yeah. yeah. We almost had another deal, but that fell through last minute too. And so since then it's been just dead in the water. Right. So that sucked because I really, really loved and believed in that station because not only, because the, the whole idea wasn't just, Oh, we're bringing, yeah, sure. We're bringing you the most obscure fucking death metal and black metal and tech death and, and all weird stuff that no one's really finding here. And the same thing with country, we're bringing you the, the best Americana and the best new country and best new outlaw country and stuff that no one is playing on the, on country radio. We were going to branch out it wasn't just going to be that it was going to be like give me hip-hop yeah. it was give me classical give me bluegrass it was going to be shit give me afro beats yeah. give me shit that no one fucking was doing you know, that no funny, one was it's doing funny the whole premise of that that entire project was something yes. that i i had years ago wanted to do called deeper cuts because there's so much more yeah. than just what's put on the radio of course you know, those of are course, playlists of those are yeah. what's popular those are those are force yeah. fed to the public exactly and that's that's exactly what we were against yeah. we were we, we we were real djs yeah. from from real either radio uh music writing or actual musicians djing right. you know we had fucking uh you know johan from amana marth right we had dave mustaine from megadeth we had uh we had, you know, celebrities like fucking, what's his name? Fucking, uh, who's the guy from, uh, what's the TV show? He's the best. Dude. Brian Posey. Oh, yeah, Brian Posey. Like, that guy fucking rules, dude. He's, he's the funniest, nicest, funniest dude. Huge metalhead. Yeah. He was playing, he had his own show on there. That's awesome. Uh, we had, we had, we had guys who ran Aquarius Records out of San Francisco, like the greatest, one of the greatest record stores of the, you know, 20th century that you know guys who put out unbelievable records and also knew their shit like both those dudes alan horrocks and uh who was the other dude andy they, these were guys who were like absolute wizards as far as record collecting goes not just record collecting, but both musicians and they're both great dudes and like we had people like that like really tastemakers like heavy 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 taste and plus we would get bands that were on tour and get them or bands that were going on tour putting out a new record we get them to do a guest show yeah. we had so many guest shows from all these bands like you know bands that were just starting there's certain bands that will tell you that will fucking tell you that if it wasn't for gimme radio letting us do a guest show and being like so popular we would have a career like they wouldn't, they wouldn't like Night Demon, like right. Night Demon or fucking Haunts. Yeah. Like, and like, don't get me wrong, but all these bands are hardworking bands, but they like, we really gave them a fucking push, yeah. you know, like, like we really gave them a push, like bands like Spellbook and Witch, Witch, uh, Witch Hazel and uh, Chain to the Bottom of the Ocean, 
Um, you know, these are bands that no one really knew who they were. Right. And then we started playing them and had at one point 250,000 listeners. And then at next point it was 300, then it was 500,000, almost, you know, almost 700, you know, almost, you know, three quarters of a million listeners yeah. listening to shit that they would have never have ever been exposed to. Yeah. And that was exciting. That was, that, that, that was exciting. Same thing with the country thing. Like Jesse Dayton. Sure. Yeah. That guy fucking works his fucking ass off, but most of those people wouldn't know who he was without gimme radio and gimme, and gimme radio. When he had gimme country, we get, he was, he got so popular that we gave him his own fucking station. We had, we had like two separate stations on gimme country and gave him his own station, do whatever he wanted. Wow. So like this guy was like, you know, he was like going for it because he had yeah. all of a sudden hundreds of thousands of other listeners because of he was on our radio. Yeah, station. That's amazing. And like, that's that, that whole situation made me very excited. Sure. And I want, I wanted to keep doing that. I wanted to keep doing that. And now, now it's not here. And now what am I going to do? Go work for a XM radio. <laughs> yeah. If you're out, if you're out there listening, hire me because I need the money. But, <laughs> I, but, but, but even those people like, listen, I have friends who work there and they say the same shit, dude. Yeah. After a while, it's just yeah. top four. Yeah. Man. It's top, they start playing the same shit. Yeah, and it, you, know. you know, and it's hard. It's hard enough in the music business as it is. Like I, you know, I've had oh. a couple episodes that we've talked to people about that, and 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 by and large, I think music has taken even a bigger hit than some of the, the some of the film people have. You know, some of the creatives in the film industry, it's it's taken a huge hit. I think so. I I I think that the film industries make a bitch about it all they want, but they're really lucky to have so much money in streaming yeah. that like, like there's, don't get me wrong. It's not the same type of money, but for someone to be like, well, I made this film, but it's only going to be on Netflix. Boo hoo. Great. You know, it's still, it's still going to be on Netflix and a lot of people are going to yeah. see it. Right. May, it may not get distribution, but at the same time, you talk to fucking regular Joe blow. I mean, I, I mean, even come on, man, even, even me and you, right. How, how often, how, and I may be taught, I may be projecting here. But me, who loves the I love the movies. I love them. When's the last time you went to the movies? Yesterday. See, <laughs> see that? See that? That? That I love to hear. <laughs> see me, like my wife and I would, would be like, oh, we should go to the movies this weekend because I haven't been in like six months. And this is someone. I'm someone who loves. I yeah. love movies. I love. I, I don't just love movies. I love movie theaters. I'm, I'm fortunate it. enough. There's one literally a mile away, and it's like. Six bucks to go to a matinee. Well, you can't rad. beat that. So that's right. You know? That's right. Matter of fact, where I am now, there's a new. Well, someone took over the old. There's two drive-ins that are still working here, and uh, which is pretty rare. But uh, the drive one drive-in got taken over by some young hipster couple who are supposed to be super cool. So we may go tomorrow night to see. Uh, Jaws and Close Encounters oh, yeah. at the drive. <laughs> so that's that's pretty rad. double drive. But I mean, like, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's all. That's a lot. That's 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 a lot of Dreyfus. Yes, it that's is a lot of Dreyfus. <laughs> yeah, that would be. Uh, the only thing better is if they played Stakeout. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Stakeout in theaters, but um, uh, but that's that's what I mean. It's like, I mean. At least there's that streaming thing, you know. 
I I guess I, I don't and that's, know. That's it's part really... of like what we've talked about too on some of these other shows is is you know you even though you have like there are still challenges. Don't get me wrong with with video streaming and there's you know people aren't getting what they should be that kind of thing. They're still working through that. Yeah. But I don't think that the listeners truly understand. Like yes, there's audio streaming, but the artists get fucked by the platforms yeah. that are streaming their music. Well, let me ask you a question because I don't know. I, I never even discussed this with my wife. What, what, what about what is it like in in the film industry? Like, let, let's say you put, you, let's say you do a film and it's only going to let's let's even let's even go deep here. Let's say it's like it's not even going to Netflix or Hulu. It's like it's only like something I love. Like, oh, it's this is exclusive on Tubi. Right. Right. Exclusive on Tubi, which really for most people, they're like, what the fuck is Tubi? If you're a huge film fan, sure, you love Tubi, but it's like Tubi and Pluto, like my two favorite channels. But like nobody really knows in the mainstream doesn't know who they are. So let's say a movie goes exclusive to Tubi. Like is is who's making the money there? Is somebody making the money? Oh, you bet. Actually, I'll be honest with you. Um, The the producers are making a ton of money. Yeah. yeah, the streaming splits are very good with Tubi. Actually, they, uh, if I remember correctly, they're the ones with the best payouts right now, more so than Netflix. Wow, that's yeah, amazing. And, and, good to know. And, and what sucks is, and that's kind of why this whole writer strike thing came about, and, you know, there's been actors that have filed filed issues with things and it's all through this. And and it's about residuals and what their contract says. And, you know, it's 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 navigating through the whole streaming thing because they're not being paid what they should be. Yes. author is a dual exactly. contract because streaming yes. and, and it's really the same problem i just think it's being addressed quicker in in film and, and television than it is in in music i yeah. see it a lot where um you know like guys like spotify like i've heard spotify really doesn't pay shit no they don't pay anything like you'll you're really lucky like if you get you know Supposedly, like if you get a hundred thousand plays, yeah, and, like, and that's the only way to get the music out there, right? Like nobody buys records anymore. It's, I mean, it's few and far between. You have a market for people buying vinyl. Yeah. You have a market oh, yeah. for people buying CDs, maybe still, but there's not very many people doing that. They buy it all on Apple Music, or they buy it all on Spotify, or they, you know, they buy it online, and it's, it's, tough. or they, or they don't buy it at all, right? I mean, they, honestly, yeah. I mean, that's really the thing is people don't want to pay for music. Yeah. I just got a pretty cool rat box set. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you did. It was, is, is it the the old, the Stephen Percy years? Uh, no, it's set? the Atlantic albums. Oh, that's, yeah. cool. that's cool. That's a, a, a very missed guitar player, Warren D. Martini. I don't know what he's doing now. Wish I knew. He did shred. He's amazing. Him and Robin. He was amazing. Poor Robin Ford, man. But at least he got to uh, before he uh, had a really long demise, which was pretty terrible. He did get to bang uh, what's her name, Tawny Katane. <laughs> so, so at least at least there was that. At least there was that, right? Mm-hmm. Tawny Katane was something. Witchboard. Yeah. <laughs> We know a guy that worked on that movie. <laughs> we do. What's that? Oh yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. Hilarious. 
hilarious. Yeah, I worked man. with that same director on Night of the Demon. My favorite part of Witchboard Night of Demons when they is drop awesome. that uh, the dummy off of the uh, work site and it falls. Oh God, it's terror! <laughs> it's really terrible. It's really terrible. That's a really terrible movie. But Night of the Demons yes. is great. <laughs> Night of Demons. That's that, that guy, was my first time. That was. This is the this oh, is the thirty fifth anniversary year of Night of the Demons. That's a great. I love that movie. Movie's hilarious. Really great. That must have been fun. Or must it, maybe it, not. No, it was. It was definitely fun. Um, it had its challenges, but it was it was definitely fun. Yeah, I like that movie a lot. It's great. Night of the Demons, a good double feature. Night of the Demons and the Return of the Living Dead. There you go. Yeah. Very, uh, very connected. Very, uh, probably filmed in a lot of the same places too, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Seems like it. Seems like it. But well, thanks so much for yeah. coming on today, man. I well, thank thank you for having me on. I'm, and I, and to our dear listeners, I'm sorry if I uh, went off on a lot of tangents, which I normally do. It's just uh, <laughs> the way things go because uh, I have uh, ADD and ADHD and all that kind of stuff that doesn't make you want to stay on one subject too long <laughs> not on purpose but just uh i go off on tangents but it was great to be on here and thank you i appreciate it we really appreciate having you man yeah we'll have to have you back on we can we can go in other tangents yes. <laughs> yeah i would i would love that i would love that i i really i you know well that's a whole other story i'm i i i, I I'm think I'm conf- I, I think I confused myself getting into music when and not getting into film. I should have probably got into mm-hmm. film because I'm I'm more interested as I got older. I'm way more interested in film than I am into music. Well, let's talk. Well, like let's much- explore that. Yeah. Well, music for film. Well, yeah. Well, that's but it's not even that. I just I just love like I I I wish I had gotten into writing and. You know, screenplays and all that. Well, no, no one says that. <laughs> no one says that. Not even my mom. My mom says you could do anything you want. Right. <laughs> she still That's says right. that. Yeah, they could do anything I want. But yeah, but I mean, I'd love to be back on. Definitely awesome. make it happen. Yes, uh, Cosmo great. Demonic kicks major ass. By the way. Oh, thank you. Unfortunately, that's completely yeah. over. It sucks. Uh, guitar player, singer main songwriter left he he moved to la he's living in la so he uh he wanted to keep doing it but there was no way there was no way he was able to like we even we even tried to keep a rehearsal space that was way too expensive (laughs) in brooklyn while he was out and um but there was no way he's kids that was a cool band though it's cool for while it lasted and you were correct. The Exorcist 2 does have a very cool soundtrack. Oh, my God. The soundtrack is incredible, dude. Incredible. It switches between haunting and then, like, the really nice melodic tracks, like, for yeah. Reagan's theme, and then back to, like, really scary shit again. Yeah. The, the best part, the scariest theme of that whole movie he did, I got to see him do it live. When I oh. when, when, when I went, I got to see Ennio Morricone at um, Radio City Music Hall. Oh, wow. And... um. And when I went, I thought to myself, sort of as a joke, I was like, I was like, I hope he does something with Exorcist too. It's the greatest, but I don't think he's going to do that. He has a whole career yeah. of thousands of movies, right? Like hundreds, hundreds of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of movies, even movies that we don't even know about that he just did in, you know, in Europe, in, in Italy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And sure enough, we got I got the program, and like the third song, the third movement in was a song from Exorcist Two, and I'm like, holy oh, shit, yeah. dude, you got to be fucking kidding! Hundred piece choir with a seventy five piece orchestra. Wow, it's insane. Totally. Did he do anything from the Bird with the Crystal Plumage? I don't remember, but that's that that weirdly enough, that movie has become my favorite, one of my favorite uh, rewatches. Yeah, of the last of the so last good. the last five years. It's it's not because it's it is a great movie. The twist, I think, is just so unique in that. The twist is also unique, but the whole vibe of the movie is amazing. The vibe of the movie is um, there's something really magical about that movie. Have you like seen that. Four Flies? Yes, I like that. Yeah, a lot. I like that, I like that a lot. Um, there's something though about that movie, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, that there's an atmosphere to that movie. That, it's almost um, like uh, avant-garde cinema of the '70s, like that yes, kind of yes, community. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's really dreamy. Like yeah. you feel you feel like you're watching you're inside someone's dream the whole time. Yeah, yeah, and I really Nuts. love I love that. And um, there's there's very few movies that do that. And 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 to to uh argento's defense that is a very uh italian thing like i'm a big fan of uh antonioni yes and i think all of antonioni's have that feeling all, all yes. of his feel all of his films feel like you're inside inside someone's bizarre dream that you blow up you really yeah, <laughs> yeah. fucking blow up blow up's up. amazing but but like the other the the trilogy the live ventura and all that that stuff and also um the Passenger, Jesus mm -hmm. Christ! The Passenger, oh, yeah. that fucking oh my god, that movie is fucking, that is amazing. Like that's amazing. Like that, and and there's certain other movies that are like that. That I I I, I you know just now thinking about it, I'm thinking about how much I'm into that feeling, mm -hmm. and I'm realizing that every movie that I've loved and rewatched hundreds of times has that feeling like blade runner mm -hmm. has that feeling as yeah. does uh one of my favorite movies ever is uh um as uh the uh well pretty much anything by by uh tarkovsky mm -hmm. but yes. so but solaris solaris i could watch over so and over and over again and even to an extent um has nothing to do with these Euro art house films, but like even to an extent, and it still holds up, of course, as we all know, is a uh, uh, nightmare uh, uh, is the first, the original night of the living dead. Yep. That the vibe on that film, like people film down the street. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Exactly. Near you. Exactly. And the other thing is that people don't realize how, amazing that movie is they, mm -hmm. they just see it as like oh yeah it's the first you know a lot of people just see it oh it's the first it's so much movie. more than a zombie oh, movie so oh, much, yeah. it's so much more than that and uh, i also didn't realize until a few years ago how much in common uh george romero and also uh russ meyer have in common like both really dreamy dreamy totally different subject matters of course mm -hmm. but completely dreamy small town mm -hmm. kind of weird uh, surreal dreamy shit that's have really... you seen the amusement park it's it's pretty intense yeah i like that i like that i like the i like that a lot and i also it reminds me what i like about the amusement park it also reminds me of uh 
Carnival of Lost Souls. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It has that vibe to it where it's and also what's what's the movie what's the movie I'm forgetting with uh what's his name from Easy Rider? Hopper? Yeah, Dennis Hopper. It's one of his earliest films where he meets like a he goes also to an amusement park and he meets like a he meets like a girl who's uh who's not really there. She's sort of oh. like Oh what's that movie called? Oh, it's fucking awesome, dude. It's the same type of same type of feeling, like Carnival of Souls and um, the amusement park. It has this like otherworldly, surreal, fucking cool thing going on. And I forget the name. I just saw it recently. It's an old film. Like one of one of his first. One of Hopper's first. Okay. It's fucking awesome. It's totally awesome. I forget what it's called. Like something ride or last ride or Night Tide. That's it. That's it. Night Tide. Not ride, tide. That movie's cool as shit, dude. It's like really like trippy, it's surreal. Atmospheric, supernatural th- thriller involving a mermaid in an amusement park. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. There you go. But um one for the watch list for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Have you guys seen anything new that you're into? Uh some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anything anything that pops out? Uh I'm really into the new Dune movie. I like that. Yeah, movie. I like I like I that. love that adaptation. I think I thought, uh, I thought that was amazing. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. I loved uh I love that and I loved uh I loved um have you guys seen you guys are into the into the Godfather, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen the offer yet? Yes, I loved it. I loved it so loved it. much. Oh my god. Like I if if at any time someone says you can watch you can watch Robert Evans on screen or someone doing a perfect <clears throat> adaptation of Robert Evans. Count me in. I'm a totally <laughs> into it. That, that guy. That guy who does Bob Evans in The Offer is better yeah. than Bob Evans. He's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Guy rules. Totally rules. That I loved. I loved. Yeah. Uh, have you guys? You guys saw Nope, right? Did you like Nope? I don't think uh, I didn't see Nope. No, I didn't nope. see it either. Really? Yeah. Oh, you got to see it. You got to see it. You guys are into sci-fi and shit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you got to see Nope. Nope, Nope. I thought was the best movie of the last five or six years, at least. Yeah, I liked Us, so I like you know I like his work. But, yeah, uh, I, I like I liked Us the second time I saw it. I loved Get Out, but yeah. Nope, Nope is amazing. Uh, yeah. You watched uh, Gaspar Noe's Vortex? No. That's uh, Dario's in it as an actor, yeah. Dario Argento, and it's like a story about end of life, similar to like the amusement park, and it's oh. about Dario living with his wife who has uh, dementia. And, where did, and you see, where did you see this? I saw it at a cinema, like a special screening. I actually have a Blu-ray of it, Shit, uh, it. but it's super nice. It's I, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's essentially about their like their journey through the near the end of their lives. So this is Gas Gaspernoa? Yeah. Oh fuck, man! I love his films. And it's split screen, so you see her perspective and his perspective, and he's trying oh. to like write a film, and, and she's like just causing all these problems, and it's it's cool. Oh, I have to see that. Yeah. I, I love his films. I think Gaspar Noah is great. Oh, absolutely! Really that like Lux Eterno was so good. Oh, so I good. I, li- I like his films a lot. And the, the other filmmaker I really love is Michael Haneke. I'm really mm-hmm. digging all his stuff. I really loved all his stuff. I love, of course, the first one I saw was Funny Games, the original. Mm-hmm. But I went on and fell in love with uh, Cache and 
white ribbon and all that kind of shit. Just really uncomfortable filmmaking, really beautiful stuff. Really, uh, you don't, you don't forget those films, Mm -hmm. you know, which is, uh, more than I could say for a lot of stuff. (laughs) Think think of how much stuff's coming out. Cool. Cool. Well guys, thank you so much. I mean, I guess, I guess we're, we're done talking here i think yes i I, I, mean, I I could keep talking but I, i'm gonna let you guys yes go. we can always do a part two in yeah. the near future thank you thank for you coming on yeah so absolutely. much dean it was thank so you. cool to hear all your stories and you're a legend <laughs> so thank you so much thank you uh we will share all the links and everything once the episode's out with you guys and of course thank you everyone for tuning in on another episode of hypodermic the pod that sticks you deep i am the pod boss tg bowser that's nick benson that's dean ripsler we will see you next time Yeah. (laughs) Thank you.